0: Welcome to another edition of Expanding Mind. I'm your host, Eric Davis, continuing our conversations about the cultures of consciousness. You know, it's really quite incredible how uh, rapidly things are changing in the world of uh, psychoactive drugs uh, in terms of discourse, in terms of institutional interests, in terms of narratives, and even in terms of the law, Uh, you know, Weed legalization was a very, very long time coming. Um, lots of battles along the way, and it's still a very leaky boat. Uh, here in California, there's um, ongoing problems uh, with it. I think some of the, the negative features of the law have become more obvious um, in terms of it, the way that it weights big players. Uh, and this has le- led to some paradoxical situations. For example, right now... There's some pushback by local communities uh, against the state because while the state uh, of California gave uh, local communities the right to regulate um, the sale of recreational marijuana and and medical uh, in terms of the um, locations, uh, they did insist that weed was still available by delivery. Um, and so some communities have pushed back against the state against saying this is, this, is not, this is not with the spirit of the law, which is to give local communities control over um, the availability of weed. And of course, most of these communities are conservative ones that want no weed. Um, but peculiarly, some of these communities, including uh, Santa Barbara County, as far as I understand it, I might have the details wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's Santa Barbara County have joined with these conservative communities against the state because they found that um, by not able, being able to regulate the, uh, the, the delivery of weed, they were um, their own local players were being pushed out of the business and instead you have these larger not conglomerates is too big a word but let's call them larger entities coming in and kind of uh, manhandling the field so in order to maintain their own local control including their, uh, their support of local businesses they sort of paradoxically joined with the conservative communities that want to have nothing to do with can- legal cannabis so that's the kind of uh, confusions that lie ahead in the world of, uh, of certainly of legalization um, but another thing is, is been happening and, and rather rapidly, which is the uh, growing conversation about the decriminalization. Notice the uh, the difference. We'll talk about that later of uh, of psilocybin mushrooms. Uh, why exactly mushrooms got the pass is that that'll be something we're going to talk about today with our guests Um, but uh, i think basically as we speak the city of denver uh, is deciding or at least i think some mail-in ballots started to go out earlier this week i'm not sure exactly when they're when their um when their vote is uh, but they're voting on whether to decriminalize uh, psilocybin mushrooms within the city of uh, denver and next year uh, Oregon's going to have a proposition on the ballot. That's a statewide proposition and people will again be voting on That's It's a little more complicated. It's decriminalization, but it also involves some, uh, ability of licensed practitioners to use it in a therapeutic situation. Again, we'll find out more details, uh, about these, uh, conversations here, but, uh, very happy to say that another measure is going on, uh, in my own backyard in, uh, The Lovely Burb of Oakland, uh, where so much of what's interesting in the Bay Area now is happening, in my view. Um, And this is being uh, uh, spearheaded by uh, a local group that I've had to Good pleasure of spending some time hanging out with and getting to know, which is uh, the group Erie, exploring uh, uh, no, the antheogenic Research Integration and Education Crew. I always forget what it stands for, because Erie is such a cool name for a psychedelic organization, because psychedelics are powerful and sacred and loving and transforming, but they can be a little eerie too, so I like that. Um, and I've spent some time with uh, Larry Norris, who's the, the head honcho at the moment, and is helping to uh, drive this uh, decriminalized Oakland uh, resolution. So I asked him and uh, one of his uh, uh, comrades, Kufi Kiri, on uh, to talk about the, uh, the resolution and the issues it raises and, uh, and talk a little bit more about what it means to um, decriminalize these plants that, uh, that so many of us have been uh, in relationship to for, for a very long time, but always under the uh, dark cloud of illegality. So uh, with no further ado, thanks guys for joining me on Expanding Mind.
1: Thank you very much, Eric, for having us on. Yeah, yeah. thank
0: you. Excellent. Um, so, yeah, just tell me about how this started. I mean, how it seems to have come up pretty quickly. And um, were you in, inspired by some of these other uh, mo- uh, movements or, or initiatives that were happening in, in Denver and Oregon? Was it something independent? How, where did you really fir- first get the idea, like, hey, we could actually do this here?
1: Yeah, it's actually a kind of a great story. We... Uh, We all met together for a different project in the middle of December, and uh, we're looking at um, building a a few different uh, community um, organizations that deal with uh, expanding consciousness and and plants and studying plants and that type of thing. And we had a roundtable of about 15 different people. And somewhere along the way, somebody had said, Hey, you know, uh, there's this thing happening in Denver, there's this thing happening in Oregon, and we kind of uh, debated a little bit about the two different proposals and you know just like you're saying there like there's at one point in time somebody said well why why are these guys always ahead of California this seems this seems backwards why 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 can't we do this and um, we just happen to have the right people in the room at the right time to really be able to engage in a deeper conversation almost immediately and you know we only just met in mid-december uh, as as the team as well and it's not, uh, one portion of it, but, you know, uh, the Haven, the sacred garden community, psychedelics, uh, society, etc. There's a bunch of different groups that are helping out here. So it's a pretty, uh, beautiful group of people that are coming together on this. And, you know, we just kind of started, we decided, okay, well let's do this. And we put together a resolution. Um, and once we had the resolution, we got a, a significant amount of feedback from quite a few different people, probably about 30, 40 different people, uh, to kind of offer suggestions and feedback. So it's really a community. Um, grown um, resolution as well. Uh, and then since then, we've just been kind of uh, chipping away at the uh, the tasks that we need to do. Our, our project is to go through the Oakland City Council, um, and maybe I'll update you a little bit more on where we're at in that process, but that's just kind of how we started off. Um, and then Kufkiri uh, um, kind of came along as well, and we've been uh, offering uh, um, insights to the, the City Council. So we've all been meeting the City Council members and the community members and things like that. Um, We had a really excellent event that happened on March 22nd. We had about 175, maybe 180 people show up for the event, which is pretty great. I had about eight different community tables, uh, different organizations, different speakers. And it was just really beautiful to see everyone come together with the same idea in mind, you know, decriminalize nature, change our relationship to nature.
0: Yeah. Well, there's a number of things I wanted to ask you about. I mean, one is that you, you know, in comparison to these other uh, initiatives. You have made the more audacious move to move beyond psilocybin mushrooms uh, alone and to embrace all entheogenic plants. And it's a real interesting kind of move to say no. We're not talking about psychedelics. We're not talking about dr- all drugs. We're talking about entheogenic plants. Plants that have been uh, you know part of the human pharmacopoeia uh, for you know, you know millennia. Um, that have, in addition, you know, shown their benefits in a variety of ways. But, of course, that does sort of make it more complicated or a harder sell. Um, and then behind that question, like why you decided to go for the, the gold, so to speak, on that one, is just why it is that psilocybin mushrooms were the entheogenic plants that were first taken up by these other initiatives, uh, as opposed to ayahuasca or peyote, both of which have... Uh, unlike uh, uh, mushrooms, have some sort of legal, um, you know, umbrella in certain circumstances with religious groups. So first, the question is, why do you think it was psilocybin mushrooms that these other initiatives focused on? And then the second part, uh, and you know, either of you can can address this, is uh, w- uh, why did you make the move to say, hey, let's 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 take this, let's let's envision this on a bigger level.
1: Yeah, so uh, I think the the first question would be uh, why why psilocybin is uh, getting so much popularity right now. And I think that, you know, a couple of different reasons. First and foremost, I think that, that that's just where the research is right now. So, you know, all the studies you're seeing in the news, the Johns Hopkins studies, the Beckley Research Institute studies uh, you know from Imperial College, uh, the NYU studies, uh, they're all focusing on psilocybin. Um, so that definitely is... Um, probably why people, well, there's more research in this area. We can kind of uh, focus on that. You know, um, on the other side of it, too, is it seems like there's more capital behind that as well. And I'm not saying that either of these uh, different initiatives were um, sort of motivated by capital, but, uh, you know, Compass Pathways is, I think, Compass Pathways? Uh, Compass yeah. Uh, creating the uh, um, synthetic psilocybin structure, and they have the FDA trials passed. So that's also something that's kind of in the vicinity. But I was reading somewhere it costs like seven to ten thousand dollars for a gram of the synthetic made uh, psilocybin. And I also just read recently that there's another company from China that's looking into synthetic made psilocybin. So, uh, so one of the things that we're also thinking about is just wanting to sort of get ahead of the. Um, the, the decrease in accessibility that might happen with some of these synthetic compounds when you can grow something out of your ground and have it, you know, free, natural and and access, accessible to many different people.
0: Yeah, it, it's really interesting the way like an initiative like yours is is simultaneously, uh, you know, practical and even sort of utopian in the sense of, of like. The possibility of really, really changing at least one urban area's relationship with these things, and allowing a lot of things to go down. But it's also symbolic in the sense that it's, it's, it's moving into this very rapidly changing, you know, uh, very dynamic and definitely, uh, you know, increasingly capitalized zone of psychedelic consciousness and 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 uh, you know, plant medicines and using them again as as medicines, and it was again interesting, and I think you're right that it's not just that there's a lot of re- there's there's a lot of research with psilocybin, and it's been used in a lot of the more recent studies in Johns Hopkins, et cetera. That's obviously a significant reason, and probably the main one. But uh, the fact that it's also something that's interested interesting to capital, capital is already moving in there, makes it more visible in a way that ayahuasca and peyote are both still, you know, a little weird, a little marginal, a little like the others. You know, it's associated with the others, with, you know, Native Americans, with, you know, people in the South. And even though there's religious exemptions associated with both those plants in the United States, there's something about the science and the capital that make psilocybin mushrooms more visible. So I really appreciate the way that your initiative goes in there and says yes, psilocybin mushrooms are great, but they're part of a larger and, in some ways, more important class, which is plants. You know, mm-hmm. plants that are you know are can be used as medicine plants and that have a history of use as as medicine plants. And that that aspect of it, the na- the nature aspect of it, is is very noticeable in the language of the initiative and in your presentation of it. And maybe someone, and I, I'm curious about that decision, because I think someone else sitting there who wanted to get the, the same the, the same decriminalization to happen might go, you know, let's hold back on the nature stuff. You know, we don't want them to think we're just long-haired hippie freaks. Like, let's just stress the science and the healing. And you do stress the science and the healing, but you also very much stress the nature aspect of Psychic experience and the fact that these things are plants was that always obvious was there discussion around that how, how did that come come to be
2: yeah thank you eric and um again thank you for having us on the show so we can help spread the message here that's so vital and important and to that point um broadening the focus with this initiative a uh, big key of it is uh, with the focus the holistic approach around community Um, I think if you see where this issue is with where it relates to Oakland, um, the diversity and the depth of the community in Oakland is something that we really want to acknowledge and make room for as it relates to access. Um, How that relates to other cities in Oregon and in Colorado, um, that might be something that's not um, necessarily on their radar. as far as the the makeup there of their communities there but it was something for us that we were very focused on and not wanting to fracture not wanting to seem to divide so as well as it focuses on the nature and the plants and where it looks at politically it's more advantageous to take the bigger approach now politically and as well it also has um its benefits in wanting to build bridges and 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 unite the the various communities here in Oakland. Oh,
0: of- I never really even thought about that. That's am- that's amazing. Let me just make sure I, I'm getting it right. Is that, is that you know, I asked, this, I asked a question about, like, why take in all these different plants rather than just focus on, focus on psilocybin like these other initiatives are doing. And what I'm hearing, and I thought, oh, okay, because you want to, you know, you want to get more of the plants in there. You want to, like, make a more of a statement that we're talking about a whole realm of nature here. And you're saying, yeah, yeah, that's part of it. But part of it is also... It's about community, and it's about the fact that by broadening the the basket, you know, incre- you know cre- increasing the basket, you're getting more people interested, more different communities who have different kinds of investments, and then that transforms the initiative into something that's more uh, collectively meaningful than just isolating one particular thing that's interested to a certain set of communities. I'd never really thought about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely uh, been something that has been really big part of our Oakland initiative is just like bringing communities together and uh, not wanting to fragment or fracture them. And like, you know, the nature conversation is obviously a huge part of this. And then also it's uh, it's it's, you know, joining our connecting communities and, you know, because it's it's a big project we're trying to do. You know, we would love to go beyond Oakland at some point in time and we're going to need, you know, all different communities to feel like, uh, you know, they're connected to this and doing all the hard work that needs to be done in order, you know, because a big part of this, uh, unlike other initiatives, and maybe maybe like other initiatives, but one thing that we're really focusing on in Oakland is the long term plan, you know, which means that our basic work starts when the policy shifts. And that's education. That's, you know, empowering people through facilitation and training workshops or finding ways to get communities involved. So uh, so for us, like, you know, our, our work kind of starts now <laughs> versus maybe ending at the policy, you know.
0: Yeah, and what? Why was Oakland? And I don't know. You, either of you can take it. I, I'm I'm not sure who, who, who's best for this, but uh, why was Oakland chosen? In a, in in a sense, I mean, I know you guys you live there, at least you know in the in the East Bay, but was it a, a sense that Oakland was the right place for this? For for what reason?
1: Yeah, I would think um, it was kind of just sort of serendipitous. We probably would have had. Um, Berkeley might have also been uh, an option because of the the route we're going so we're going through the city council Um, so we're looking for votes from the city council members Um, but I think first and foremost uh, you know we had the meeting in Oakland we have uh, one of our uh, main um, decriminalized nature Oakland co-founders has been working in the Oakland City uh, building for a long time, he's not anymore, but he was for a while. So he has some uh, pretty nice connections and knows some people, and might be able to uh, arrange some uh, meetings in a, in a more quick way than maybe I could by myself, um, you know, or in as a community. So, um, so that's also a big part of it. And I think there's something. I don't know. There's something probably for all of us that feels like, you know, this is the kind of thing that Oakland should be leading the conversation. And, you know, this is something where, you know, Oakland is, uh, you know, not San Francisco. It's not Berkeley. It's it's its own beautiful thing. And it's really awesome to see it evolving out of here because it brings all these communities together. And it, it shows us how strong this uh, this community is underneath the underground, you know, we well, um, maybe not seeing that in other places.
0: No, I, again, I mean, I see it as it's like the the symbolic Power of it, in addition to what's actually happening on the ground with the with the measure and with the communities that are coming together and having to do the the hard politics of it, but just the the vision of it is much more powerful than if it was San Francisco or Berkeley, in my opinion, because of Oakland's particular character and because of the of the of the multiple communities that that are going to have to be part of it in, in order for it to to work. But I'm curious, like Kufakiri how did you how did you hear about this? Like, wh- what did you hear? How did you hear about it, and why did it strike you? Like, oh yeah, this is what I want to you know put my energy into
2: yeah actually um, it's in the way that it came to Oakland it is also, was very I think has a serendipitous nature to it and it's also in how I came to to work with the initiative as well I'm, I'm a Oakland native born and raised and so um, you know I know the Oakland uh, kind of before its m- most recent iteration so I've seen it go through a lot of transitions and um, in my own personal journey and experiences working in ceremony, working with indigenous and working with sacred plants, um, and seeing the powerful transformative um, experiences that people have had to be able to to uh, change the narrative around their own lives. Um, once I heard, and um, after spending some time living in New York and returning to to Oakland and, and wanting to connect to the community out here, uh, seeing where this initiative was was coming into fruition, and understanding with my own connection to the city, the benefit that it serves in the character of the city, the history of the city, the present moment of the city, um, the diversity, the depth of the city, and and really all those elements just just again in a serendipitous way have come together and really unfolded into this moment that we're uh, we're navigating right now and uh, very excited about it.
0: You know, you, you i was really interested to hear that that not only were you born uh, locally, but your—but your parents were born. I'm a—I'm a I'm an old California too, and I always like light up when like, oh wow, people when people are here, but people's families have been here for a while. Your parents were both born out, born out here, and they—they they participated in the in the civil rights and and uh, black power movements, which were so powerful, such an important part of the of Bay Area uh, mm-hmm. history. Do you see like how do you see this particular that this whether you want to think about it as a, as a human right or a liberation of the plants? but how do you see this sort of the legal fight over and, and in some in some sense the symbolic fight over the meaning of these plants in, in terms of this longer legacy of social justice work that that your family's been a part of and you've been a part of uh, in your you know in your personal life?
2: Um, you know, that the, the legacy and the lessons handed down to me from my parents and themselves born in the 50s in San Francisco. So they came of age in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, um, during the height of the civil rights and black power movement. So that awareness, that that was very informative in and, and how I grew up and, and my perception of my immediate environment, but the the larger uh, social structure of things. And, and so with this... Uh, there is an opportunity uh, for a reclaiming, if you will, in a way, and I won't say that in regards to any particular community. I feel like it's it's a more in a in a humanitarian of sense of. of of where we're reclaiming nature, which is why I think the fact that we're saying decriminalize nature, because, you know, nature is something that should be accessible and available for everyone. And so some of the initiatives that we're seeing out there that are more isolated around maybe a particular compound or particular plant in general uh, are taking routes where access is not being considered in a holistic approach, like what we're doing with this legal initiative here. And oftentimes, that is the first door you need to knock on um, in these type of struggles to help lay the groundwork while you're, you know, while you're working on uh, other initiatives is where you're educating, informing, engaging in the community. And um, this all goes hand in hand.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. No, I'm, it's funny, when, as you're talking, I'm, I'm realizing again, you know, the, the way that, that your own sort of, uh, un, not unconscious, but aspect, way, ways that I was framing this issue in, in ways that were invisible to me. For example, I hadn't really, again, made that connection between it underlining the role of nature, meaning these things are natural, they grow you can grow them or they can be grown you know by people like you they don't have to be manufactured they don't have they have to go through industrial process that that idea is also directly linked to an idea of access to the idea that these should be available to people simply by virtue of being human beings on a planet where these things grow uh, and that that's an issue of access and when you just say hey we want psilocybin mushrooms to be legal that's great or to be decriminalized that's great you know more power to them but in the framing of that there's no sense of like hey there's a reason that we should be able to have these accessible and by the way everyone is in that category not just people who can afford it or people who are in the inside or people who have the right connections um so yeah that that i can see the way that this really is a kind of multi appropriately multidimensional uh initiation
2: yeah definitely definitely you, and it, um and it's understandable when you're using certain um vehicles if you will to introduce something that's Maybe has a, a stigma around it, and you want it to have the broadest access available. That you look for the, you know, the biggest door as far as mainstream emergence, um, which is also a moment that the psychedelic community is in. And so, science and medicine are the ways to to combat that in in a larger narrative where you have companies like um, like Compass. And what maps is doing to want to uh, again change that narrative for the the larger social conversation. So uh, when you use old, you know, older language, older narratives, uh, you also fold in those those type of uh, blind spots. Yeah. Uh, where you're not necessarily bringing everyone into that
0: conversation. Well, let me ask you something about this. This is maybe a little bit of an odd question, but it just it just popped up in my brain, and I tend to like let them loose. <laughs> and uh, which is, you know, you're you're using the word entheogen, and you're using it for for very good reasons. You know, personally, I mean, I'm a historian of this stuff, and I have my reasons for for t- for tending towards psychedelic. But we don't have to get into that. Um, but what what I what I was sort of wondering is whether. Psychedelic to me, if you look at, at psychedelic history, has a very white valence. Um, not that there weren't people of color who were using psychedelics in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and whatever. They're there, they're important, they're part of the picture, but there's very much a kind of white overstory to it in in my sense of the history, and, and even in terms of who who was taking it the most intensely or the most who making the making as big a deal out of it. But when you come to antheogen, one of the reasons that people start to use the term antheogen is to is to break the hold of the associations with psychedelic, which were legal, which were political, which had to do with the sixties, which had to do with Timothy Leary, and to say, "Look, look, there's a lot of things that are beginning that are being stained by this term that really deserve a different like linguistic operation let's let's let something fresh in." Let's it tends to be emphasis on the plants, so not necessarily, but but also one that tries to break that connection with the sixties counterculture. And what I guess what I'm what I'm my question sort of a roundabout way to ask the question. My question is whether entheogen as a way entheogenic plants as a zone of thinking about it itself it already has more access than mm-hmm. psychedelic did, if you will. That the, the very reframing of it allows more room for new stories new communities to come up with their own relationships in their own terms um with this you know whole world then then the earlier kind of psychedelic model of these uh uh, powerful agents
1: yeah and i think that was uh you know it was funny because obviously uh yuri Starts off with entheogen. So I was actually one of the people at the beginning that was like, "Oh, I'm not so sure because it's a word that you know is, is you know, people have a lot of you know don't really know what it means and you know maybe have some trouble pronouncing it. Is this something that we were going to want to do?" And we really came across you know a lot of different things. One of which is that you know also just speaking to Oakland in general and. Oakland is, you know, having to have dealt with psychedelic San Francisco for a while, so to not want to use terms that, you know, take people right to that spot. And the nice thing about entheogen, outside of, you know, like you're saying, this multicultural dimension to it too, it gives us a, a fresh palette. like. Know, 50%, 75% of the people that we're talking to don't know what entheogen is. So it gives us an opportunity to describe it in a new way. And I think that's so valuable right now because we're dealing with trying to break through all the stigma to give us a fresh start, like you said, uh, and to, to have that conversation from there. And then people are more open to be like, oh, wow, these are healing plants in these types of ways. And, and they're and they're listening to that in a different way.
0: Yeah, Kofi Kira, do, do you have something to say about that? I mean, I, I'm always, it's always... Uh, uh, I still feel like I mean I really want to know more about how these plants and substances show up as possibilities in communities of color, particularly in the in terms of the way in which they may have associations that are left over from the '60s that aren't always <laughs> that inviting. Um, and so I don't know whether your own story or just your observation is, is and it, it seems like a really important part of this, the Oakland piece of this uh, this initiative.
2: Yeah, and um, I think that, uh, again, in the kind of the, the serendipity of the moment that it, this is taking place in Oakland, which is next door neighbors to San Francisco and Berkeley, which have strong histories with uh, the psychedelic community and, and the way it has evolved over the past decades. And, you know, where we now understand from the political perspective, that the war on drugs was a war on communities, so there was a very um, proactive effort um, from that political standpoint to to create a a larger national social narrative around what these were and how you, they were labeled as drugs, which has a negative connotation, and then psychedelics attached right to that psychedelic drugs um, that formed a perspective around it for. Different ethnically diverse communities, so that you have um, communities that are marginalized uh, from a uh, from a racial and ethnic standpoint that don't understand the the story beyond what they've been told uh, of recent from that political narrative, and seeing that psychedelic drugs as a term automatically is there's an association that that's uh, a white person's, you know. Uh, frame of reference. Uh, that's their choice of you know drug or whatever you want to want to call it um, when using those words. So for us to to create an opportunity, like Larry was saying, to reframe that narrative and actually create a broader perspective of how these. Integens sacred plants, you know, sacrament to, to, for some people, come from indigenous communities outside of the U.S., and what people are actually doing in these ethnically diverse and racially marginalized communities is actually reclaiming something that they didn't even know maybe belonged to their own history and legacy in the first place.
0: Yeah, that's a fascinating thing. It's like a symbolic leap, you know, that by by emphasizing the way that these have roots, you know, uh, literal roots in, uh, you know, non-white communities and indigenous communities and, and you know, communities that have been here you know, for a very long time, that then that allows people to think about them as being part of their own stories and part of their own lives. Um, in a way that, again, the, the psychedelic story d- doesn't uh, in a lot, in most ways. And so, again, the symbolic effort of doing this, and it's kind of interesting, in a way, you're the, the, the one feature of the initiative in, in Oakland is, is just kind of announcing that these opportunities are out there. It's like, what are these guys doing? Oh, wow, really? Oh, okay. You know, it's like another way to kind of spread the word uh, to broader communities, especially given all of the social health crises, the mental health crises, you know, all of the problems with addiction, and you know, we can go on and on about the ways in which um, some of the the be, the health benefits, mental health benefits that come along with these things, you know, obviously there's 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 great need in Oakland as there is everywhere. Um, so it's uh that's very interesting. But in terms of the other groups that have been pulled in. I'd like to hear more about um, some of the m- more unusual partners or partners that, that have been particularly uh, proactive or, or turned on by this possibility. Some of the other groups that have been part of this collective effort.
1: Yeah. So, um, directly in, so are you meaning sort of within the Oakland community or do you yeah. uh, come across this? Okay. Yeah. So, um, so we kind of started off, it was, um, a, Communities, Sacred Garden community, the Haven community, Erie, um, Psychedelic Society, uh, SF came along the way. Um, and so we've been kind of the core, you know, um, Katie Stone, who's been working with SSTP forever, uh, we've been kind of the core uh, group putting a lot of these things together. And then our outreach for our cables and things like that. Uh, have been great for our first event, but now sort of the next step is we're going to be needing to bring uh, education to uh, churches, to the Oakland Police Department, writing you know field memorandums to you know um, uh, you know La Clinique and uh, Native American Health Center and these types of groups that are throughout that we think that we'll have a great time um, connecting with and and sort of informing both ourselves and, and hearing from them and what their perspectives are um, and so as we sort of continue to move forward we're going to continue to sort of uh, bring in more groups and connect with more groups and communities um, but right now we probably have about four or five different communities um, that are in organizations that are coming together to make this happen but a lot of us for example Yuri is not technically uh, you know we're, we're involved in the educational project but as a 501c3 we can't do policy work so when we do the policy stuff I'm working by myself as Someone who works with Erie, kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, and so, uh, so I think that's something too that people are being a little cautious of. We're working independently with a lot of the city council members, and we're having conversations, but we have our organizational support behind us.
0: So, what exactly is the process you're doing? Like, I'm not really familiar with you know a resolution and how things work on a city level. We, we don't really think about that so much. Uh, at least I don't. Um, so, how? So, what's actually the process? What's the the goal you're getting to? And you know, would you, would you be gathering all these other communities beforehand, or you know, how how how's it actually look on the on the calendar, so to speak?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, uh, um, it's kind of like uh, everything is happening in parallel because in order for council members to feel. You know, we might convince a council member, but we also have to convince the council member's constituents, or we're not going to have a council member that's going to be able to vote for us because you know the constituents might not be aware of what we're doing. So it's kind of happening both at the same time. This project is both, you know, directly one-on-one contact with the council members and a broader educational thing, so that there won't be any complaints to the council members that would make them want to change their vote. Uh, as of now, the way we've been doing it is we've been. Um, meeting with council members. We also met with uh, state representatives and uh, from assembly and uh, Senate, and they seem, they seem supportive as well. Uh, and we're gonna be open to see what Oakland's doing. Uh, we have about uh, we've had about four meetings with different council members uh one like you're saying was uh suggesting we do due diligence and speak to the community members the churches the um you know the 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 um, you know local market fairs uh the police department these types of things uh we have now a, a sponsorship so last friday we met with one of the council members no gallo and he is uh, Uh, open to sponsoring the the resolution. So what that means is he's going to set the date uh, for the Oakland City Council vote, he's going to bring it to the floor, and he's going to put his name on the legislation. Uh, We also have favorable support from the council president, uh, from the Oakland City Council president, and uh, a possible co-sponsor as well from another one of the council members. Um, So we're hoping to bring that to the floor in May and have a vote in May. And then what we would need is there are eight city council members. Uh, I believe we need five of eight in order for it to pass our goal is to have a unanimous decision and to talk to everybody and show, share with them about the importance of the plants and have an eight, eight for eight vote.
0: So that means that educational push is like happening now and has to happen kind of fast. Cause if you're d- doing it in May, you got to make sure that the communities are behind. Yeah, that. absolutely. Oh, okay. So how, so how, well, how does that, what does that look like? That sounds like a lot of, <laughs> that's, you know, that's not easy. You know, it's there's so many, community. where yeah. do you start?
2: Well, you know, um, It's an it's an interesting dynamic, and I think it's a it's a unique challenge that we're excited about. In that part of what we're looking to do here is uh, broaden awareness and people's um, inform how well they're informed about this subject, uh, so that we can change the narrative. And while there's uh, we're doing this in parallel, like Larry was saying, there's the informing and educating. Um, from the political perspective of the initiative for the council members and uh, state assembly uh, to move the political uh, aspect along. And that has its own timeline marked off of schedules and dates and how politics works. And so it's very much informed by that process. So that's one. The other one is in wanting to engage with the community and why we feel so strong about the opportunity uh in working in the various communities in oakland why we wanted to do entheogens so that we're as inclusive as possible to bring everyone in is that that conversation that educating of people of the community that's a timeline that doesn't follow a calendar and a schedule like a political agenda um, or a political calendar for hearings and meetings and resolutions because that's a conversation that's ongoing forever evolving, and to really have it honestly, authentically, and in a a way that's really engaging with communities, it needs to be long-term. We need to show a consistent presence so that, um, as I've heard it said, uh, people only care about what you know when they know how much you care. So, you know, we're, by engaging, it's not simply having you know, uh, a booth at a festival when handing out flyers and, and thinking if we run out of all our flyers, we've done our job. Because, you know, it's an ongoing process when you're when you're changing the narrative around something that people have held a certain idea or belief about for so long. Uh, wanting to shift their focus around that is is something that takes, you know, effort after effort and an ongoing conversation to really to really have that sink in and and, um, sit home
1: and also, that we, just real quick, we've also, you know, this has been happening, you know, this is the beauty of the Bay Area, you know, the education's been happening for a really long time, and so uh, we're not that far behind, and, and these things are happening, and have been developing, and so even just within the last year, uh, a lot of groups have been developing in Oakland, so that's already kind of taking place, so that's kind of helped us also to get to this initiative point, because this education was already going on throughout the different communities.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's an interesting way of thinking about it, I mean, partly, I found that I just can no longer assume what people know or what people think about uh, psychoactives in general. I mean, you just how far it spread the interest, the sense that maybe this is something for people, maybe even for them. You know, you don't you really it's really hard to know. And at the same time, aspects of the story that that get lost uh, get lost in translation and, and some of the hype, frankly, that we've seen and some of the ways in which the, the, the medical industry starts to recognize hype and starts to carry it forward and, and even you know, well-meaning therapists and, and uh, uh, you know, activists can get caught up in that kind of stuff too. So it's a, it's a really complex field, but it's also very dynamic and it's clear that, that it's changing you know, dramatically. Um, uh, at a rate, I'm I'm curious, Kufi Kiri. What part of the of the equation are are you going to be looking at? Like, are is there certain communities or aspects of this education process that you're kind of most uh, uh, charged by?
2: You know, it's it's the really about the because I'm an Oakland native because I was born and raised here because I've seen you know, the the city go through so many challenges and so many different iterations, and, and just some, being someone that's also uh, just a lay political uh, student of my own, I, I know the struggles and the challenges that the various communities uh, in Oakland have had to overcome um, and endure through for various reasons, whether it be political, economical, social, um, uh, justice, reform, and so, for me, coming home really in a way in a serendipitous time to be able to continue the engagement that I was raised with, understand, learning the value of through my parents' legacy. Uh, for me, you know, community engagement and, and activism, and informing, um, and and really taking uh, a strong role in in being able to have these conversations to help shift the narrative so that those um, communities that may not initially see the benefit or see themselves in this initiative because again they, they may be um, carrying old uh, old language and, and, and false you know narratives around what you know psychoactive or psychedelic may mean and that's not for them, but under, helping to shift that so that you know everyone's seeing that there's a role, there's a place and not just beyond that, there's a need. Because really, for this to be successful, really for this to to do what we really wanted to do, you know, we need folks to see that you know their investment in it is not just something token that we really need as well as want everyone involved in this. So having those conversations is something I'm excited about and looking forward. To. What
0: What do you think is the most is the great or is the, the 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 greatest need that these things can help fulfill? Like what is the? I know there's there's multiple factors. There's addiction. There's uh, mm-hmm. depression there's you know sense of alienation there's uh all, all you know ptsd there's different ways that things uh th- that these things are organized as healing but what do you just like on a gut level feel is the real the real key the real element that these things are necessary for or can can serve a need
2: yeah um you know all of this has unfolded from my own personal journey of healing and thus having an experience shared with others of where having the experience of working with sacred plants has helped them gain an awareness on a personal, on a social, on some would say even a cosmic level um, in being able to, to gain a power of choice in how they're moving their life forward from that moment you know really aligning their intentions and their actions and so when you're able to unplug from the programming that's so you know on a constant metronome of the social dynamics around you know labels and and compartmentalizing communities and divide and conquer approaches understanding where we're all connected, understanding that we have more in common than we don't, understanding that an individual's personal journey of healing will affect all those around them. And that that change happens within one. It happens within a small cluster. So for one, one person's journey of healing helps a family heal. A family's healing helps a community heal. A community's healing helps a city to heal and so really whether it's you know beyond the numbers of how many people's lives this is how we're rating success and <laughs> we have all we can count all the people who say their lives you know it's it's a, it's 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 not that nuts and bolts in in what this regards and relates to so so for me that experience that everyone can benefit from of Gaining the power of choice over their own narrative and unplugging from the programming of, of how they're labeled and how they're defined and how they think they should see themselves and the assumptions that we carry forward that keep us from building stronger communities is something that's powerful and impactful, you know, no matter where you are. There's just the unique character of Oakland that really fosters that.
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting. I'm really glad to hear you say that it's it's not it's not simple, and it's not simply a matter of counting the people who say that they've been transformed. Because, you know, without you know sounding pessimistic we we still don't really know, you know, we don't really know what it's like to suddenly have a lot of people who, who haven't had experience with these things enter into healing situations. And maybe they get temporary benefit in the long run, it doesn't really help that much some people. And then some people actually have crazy experiences that become very difficult for them. And over time, we we really just don't know what, what we're doing. But what I loved about what you're saying is that, you know, while it's clear that these things are very helpful for you know, significant numbers of people in the right circumstances. Um, what's even on a way in a way more important is that it it it's they they kind of dissolve and steer and stir up things that are are stuck, stories that we're stuck with, social divides we're stuck with, and that even if there's a little bit of risk in there, that it still overall allows, much more dynamics, and you talked about the sort of freedom of choice, meaning that there's more ways of seeing the situation, there's more ways of moving, so they're, they're kind of like a, a catalyst. Uh, rather than just simply a good medicine, like oh this is good, this is going to go in and this is going to help you not be an addict anymore, and like obviously in cert- a lot of circumstances that that's true of something like ibogaine. Um, is that true of mushrooms? Eh, I don't, you know, it's hard to say. We, you, addiction's complicated. Blah blah blah. But we do know that by having these things, especially reframed, having these energies, these spirits, these plants as part of our uh, uh, our open existence decriminalized existence that they're stirring up stuff that they're allowing things to shift and change at at a point where you know there's a lot lot going down
2: yeah definitely and and that's something that we're also really wanting to emphasize with this is is the opportunity that it provides for new choices though that opportunity for new choices isn't the end-all be-all of itself because people as as with any change, as with any change of narrative, there's still the power of choice and there's still that work that needs to be done in where the intentions and the actions need to align to really carry things forward um, so that it's long lasting. And it's not because we're not looking to make a magic pill that people are taking you know, for the rest of their lives, you know, to the new hap- the newest happy pill. You know, that's that's not what this is about. You know, some people are our focus may be in that regard, and um, wanting to isolate certain things. But for us, again, taking a holistic approach, you know, understanding that in the long view, the work that's there to align our intentions and our actions, to have the ongoing conversation, to show the benefits, to 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 educate and almost re-educate the community in a certain regard is really where the lasting effects and success will come from.
0: Yeah, that's really well said. You know, I'm I'm curious, Larry. What what do you see as the the biggest hurdle, or the the whether it's a a, a concept that's that's out out in people's minds, or whether it's a, a particular local political forces, or um, what seems to be. Uh, the, the where the pushback is coming from, if it is,
1: yeah, I mean, um, you know, I think that I think you know, Cooper is touching on a lot of the stuff about you know a major a major thing that in general is just this this narrative. So, for example, like you know, the, the cannabis narrative, if if it's not medical. It's recreational. There's only two ways to do cannabis. There's no other ways, right? And so so those those types of narratives, like, okay, well, obviously with entheogens, there's a lot more ways than just recreational or medical. There's spiritual. There's educational. There's creativity. Same with cannabis. Um, so that's one thing, just like shifting these narratives is a big pushback. Um, in general, I think with our communities, we've had a, a lot of more uh openness than i think maybe we initially would have expected coming into this where people are very open to hearing what we have to say uh listening to sort of the what we're bringing to the table and um you know uh, so that's been something that we haven't had uh, a significant amount of pushback yet from um but surprisingly we've had uh, some interesting conversations just even without, within community um because there are you know sort of this the psilocybin only initiative and then the decriminalize all drugs initiative And so we're kind of like in this sweet spot, uh, working only with antigenic plants and fungi on schedule one. So we don't deal with schedule two, which is where Poppy and Coca uh, are at. Um, but there's actually been some some interesting um, sort of push from people that are going the decrim all drugs route, um, and which was kind of a, a, bit, a bit surprising. But, um, but but it's exciting because it just speaks to the complexity of the conversation, the sophistication of the conversation, the varieties of ways to look at this. Uh, I think in general that uh, some of the speakers, you know, uh, some of the um, uh, elected officials that we're talking with said that we really want to um, engage with the uh, the, the local church communities, you know, the Oakland Police Department. Uh, so those are conversations that are maybe going to be a little bit more challenging just because we haven't had that uh, big pushback yet. And I'm assuming that there may be a little bit more um, education that might be needed there before people are open to hearing what we have to say. But I think, you know, with the crew that we have here, we're really well um, uh, prepared for those types of conversations. So it'll be really fascinating to see how those evolve.
0: You know, interesting in a way. This is a very, very urban endeavor. You know, it's 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 involves multiple communities, local politics. Uh, you know, it, it's dense. It's it it's tre- it's looking towards ameliorating problems that are associated with you know the the challenges of cities today. And yet, it's also about nature. You know, and I, I talked at the beginning of the conversation about how forward nature is in your presentation of this you're not just treating these as substances that happen to be natural or as medicines that happen to grow from the ground it's it's natural uh, it's it's and it's it's part of nature partly because of this community aspect you talk about but there's also almost a kind of a kind of animism in your approach like there's something alive about the whole thing uh a little bit magical maybe um what that is that something you're kind of consciously conjuring or that it feels like it's it's carrying the thing forward at this point
1: yeah i mean i'd say that we're all wizards and uh doing magical stuff here no um uh, of course yeah i think that's i think that's you know and i think nature is animistic i think when you really and most of us that have had these experiences and we connect with nature you know we're much more liable to have that conversation with the tree or what have you, you know, to really speak to nature in a different way. And so that probably speaks in a, um, maybe an intentional and un- an unintentional way, you know, because that's just the heart and soul of what we're talking about here as our group. And so nature just kind of came to the forefront. And I, earlier you were saying something about um, nature versus being a little bit more hippie dippy than like, for example, psychedelics or antigens would be. And I think that's actually interesting. We've had quite a few conversations and we've spent many hours debating and discussing all these different conversations and one of the things that we actually had come to was that nature was uh, actually taking us back in a different way it wasn't really necessarily being hippy-dippy but it's actually less uh threatening than would be say psychedelics so we talk about nature and it forces the question you know that's the thing right off the bat we want someone to be like what do they mean decriminalize nature what does that even mean you know and then it sort of forces people to think like wait how how are we why are we criminalizing nature and so so that in in a way too it is sort of a living um you know, restoring our roots is our, our second timeline you know bringing it back to the roots bringing it back to our connection to our own lineages our own communities the plants that have been severed after millennia of decolonization i mean sort of colonization um so really trying to find a way to get back to nature really connect with nature um and i think that in general it's going to have an animistic feel but uh, i thank you for for sort of sensing the magic in it because i think we all feel that behind it yeah I mean
0: just hearing the the uh, watching the video from the from the uh rally was just the the vibe that people were giving off giving talks it was it's it's interesting how how it does really seem to draw people together which is in a time when there's a lot of stress between groups you know you, you know you know and and so there's not a lot of obvious glue and it ain't gonna be social media you know I'll tell you that yeah. so Uh, it's, it's really wonderful to see, uh, the, the kind of, kind of work you're, you're doing there. We just got a a minute left. So, um, what's, what's like happening now? What can people do? People are excited. They hear this like, oh, this is awesome. You know, there's always the, what can I do questions? So, uh, what can folks do to support it?
1: Sure, sure. Well, um, you know, first and foremost, you know, we're going to be doing this educational campaign. So contact us on decriminalizednature.org or info at decriminalizednature.org. And we can, uh, you know, find places for people to do volunteer work, education, obviously fundraising. This is a, you know, a proposal that we're all putting a lot of effort into and time into, but it is costing uh, money as well. So any kind of fundraising, anyone that has any connections to that would be great. Um, and then just in general, like, you know, coming together in community and, um, and, you know, if, if you live in Oakland, I think one thing you can do is, you know, call your elected officials, uh, call the people that are the council members of your district, write them letters, handwritten letters, those types of things. Uh, and that will sort of speak to the larger community as well. So it's not just us sharing with them. But now all of a sudden constituents in each district are also kind of coming together and talking about uh, this conversation with the council members.
2: Great.
0: That sounds wonderful. Kufikir, you want to add any uh, any words?
2: Uh, yeah, just to that effort, you know, it's it's – The educational narrative is a two-way conversation, and so it's not about us talking to the communities. It's about us wanting to engage and and speak with the communities so the more voices we have in that conversation where people can share their story, uh, again, and changing that narrative so that we're not following the old lines of stigma and it's being normalized as something that again is already owned by people that they're they're reclaiming in a way um, and and in that regard you know inviting everyone to to speak up and speak out on the issue in both the political sphere as well as amongst friends and family that may uh, also carry those those that push back and false beliefs is a great opportunity uh, wherever you have the chance to do so
0: excellent all right uh larry norris and kufi kiri thanks so much for for joining me on expanding mind
1: thank you very much eric
0: thank you for having us excellent so uh, it's decriminalizednature.org check it out and until next week keep your minds open